0: We're picking right back up where we left off last week. We finished chapter 1 of Hebrews. Today we will take just the first four verses of chapter 2. As you know and you follow along, and even if you haven't been with us, you know as a believer that Jesus is our great prophet. He's not only a prophet, he's also our priest. He's also our king, king of kings. And we study that in chapter 1 to bring a really a great foundation by the writer of Hebrews to address the issue that was taking place in the culture of that day. People were coming to Christ by faith and faith alone. And they just heard His word and heard what He has done on the cross for their <laughs> sins. And they could have the forgiveness of their sins by putting their faith, complete faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. But like many things, as people are coming to Christ, then the enemy creeps in in ways into your life and into your homes and in ways of different places, different ways, and so subtly and so simply that it would all of a sudden start distracting people from the simplicity of having a personal relationship with Jesus for the surety of their salvation and then these Judaizers, these religious leaders and these religious people coming back in and saying, yes, you need to know Jesus, but you also need, and then fill in the blank. You must follow the laws of the Jewish law, the, the Jewish faith again. You must sacrifice. You must do these things and do this way. You must wear certain things. You must pray a certain way. You must. There's so many things that people add on to the faith and simplicity of the faith in Jesus Christ to be have a right relationship with God. And we call that legalism. We call that religiosity. And Jesus warned us of those things. We see Jesus showed the apostles that these things would happen as they were being martyred and things were happening and Jesus being gone now that these things, these people would start creeping back into the the fellowships of of believers. And so the writer of Hebrews is now, as we've learned in chapter 1, bringing them back the simplicity of who Jesus was, and I'll draw your attention to chapter one, verse two and three. In these last days spoke to us by His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He had appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, the Creator. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and behold all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins wiped him as white as snow and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high he's our great intercessor. And based on these things, we are going to see, as we continue in the book of Hebrews, that we are going to see five warnings given by the writer here in Hebrews to you as a believer. Today we'll see the first warning, the admonition or exhortation to us found here in Hebrews. The purpose of these warnings is to encourage you and I as the reader of the Scriptures to pay attention to, To God's Word. To pay attention to Jesus Christ and what He has in His Word for you. To learn and to grow and to be obedient to His Word. That is what is very important as a believer. We also must note that the warnings become stronger as we will study through the book of Hebrews. Today we will see the starting of the person who drifts away from the truths of God. And the warning of what happens when that—if you find yourself as a drifter, drifting away from the original, where you started from that first love of, with, for Jesus Christ and understood who he was and what he did for you and the forgiveness and how much joy you had. But as you continue to grow and mature, you stopped at some point. You drifted away from the truths of God. And now you find yourself drifted and you're not even sure how you got there in your Christian walk. So today we will see the first warning drifting away. Neglecting your faith. Finding yourself as a drifter and you are now wandering out there and wondering how to come back. To that first love that you had when you first got saved. We will then see over time of these warnings. And the last warning we will find in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 through 29. Where we will see that those of a warning will be defying God's word. It started off just drifting But if you're not careful, you continue to move down the path and spiral downward, you will get to the point of denying God's word, defying it. We must also note that God does not sit by idly and permit his children to rebel against him, he doesn't do that as much as you as a believer want to go and do the things you want to do like the world says to do, and you're caught back up in these things, and you hope that the Father will just not pay attention to you as a child of God and go play in the world again like you used to, that is sadly mistaken. You're foolish in that thinking. You've been deceived. Because the Father will not idly sit by and let you just drift away. We will continue to speak, or He will continue to speak, and and when necessary, He will chasten His children. And we must understand these warnings are written to believers. Understand, non-believers don't drift. They're already lost. You as a believer... can drift if we're not careful and that is why the writer of Hebrews warns us not to find ourselves drifting and if you are and you're convicted today you need to come back to the shore you must come back and anchor down once again so that you're not finding yourself floating away into this world more and more now notice here in verse 1 of chapter 2 Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed. Therefore... Therefore what? What therefore? Why? Anytime you see this transitional word, therefore, you must go back to the previous teaching, the principle, the previous principle, the previous truth that was being spoken of in the scripture, which is what I wrote, or which I just read in verses two and three. Who is Jesus Christ? The creator of this world, the sustainer of this world, the, the intercessor, the, the ruler of this world, the, the, who he is. The truth of who He is. And so the writer here says, Therefore, based on who Jesus Christ is, therefore we must, and and the writer includes himself, we, meaning he is a believer, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. It's a warning. It's pretty simple. I could spend for the next hour just on this one verse. I may. Because if you don't understand this verse as a believer, that you must take heed. you cannot ignore this. You can't ignore who Jesus Christ is. You can't say, "I used to know him, I used to have a relationship with him, I used to be real close to him, but I'm OK because I've got my fire insurance, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. That's good enough for me. You are foolish in that thinking. You are living a horrible, miserable Christian life. If you think you can just know of him, doesn't make you a, being saved. Satan knows of Jesus, doesn't make him saved. Many out there will claim to know who Jesus is, but they don't know him on a personal level. But I'm not talking about those individuals right now. The writer is speaking to you as a believer that says, Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Do you believe He is the supreme? Is Jesus supreme? That's what the writer was talking about through all chapter one. Jesus is supreme. He's supreme over who? Well, we learn that he's supreme over all prophets that God used. He's supreme over the angels that God used. He's supreme over the creation that he created. And if he's supreme, then why isn't he supreme in your life? He must be. You must continue. That's why the writer says, Most earnest heed to the things we have heard. That's why we teach the Word of God, because we want you to hear what God says in His Word, not what I have to say, not what other people and talking heads out there have to say, but what does the Word of God say? We must learn these things, and then as He teaches us and we hear these things, we are then obedient to those things. The scriptural fact of Jesus' being, uh, Jesus's superiority over the prophets and the angels has life-changing application to your life and to mine. And we must consider how these truths that we learn, how does that apply to your life and make the necessary changes that's in line with the scripture. We must give most earnest heed to the words of Jesus. Because these are not for non-believers. These are not for unbelievers. The scriptures that we're talking about are for the believers. This is an epistle. It's a letter. Do you realize that all epistles that we see in the scripture are for believers? They're not for non-believers. That's why sometimes in our earnest to help and want to lead people, our friends and our family and our spouses or whoever it may be that you love so dearly, you want to lead them to Christ and say, so you tell them you should read the book of, no, no, no. You just need to share the gospel with them. Share who Jesus is and what he has done for him. Or for her. And how they can surrender their lives and give and be saved. And to be forgiven of their sins. That is all you need to communicate to a non-believer. Because they're not going to understand the letters who were written for believers. They're not going to understand it. It's the power of Jesus Christ. And what He has done for them is what they need to hear. But for you and I... We, once you're saved, once you have given your life over to Jesus Christ, it is all about now learning of who He is and allow Him to to be more and more in your life, to be molded and shaped into His image and to, to be transformed of your minds by the reading of the Word of God. And that's why the writer here says, oh, we must give the most earnest heed Oh, we need to pay attention to what the Word of God says. Because, my brothers and sisters, the writer says here in Hebrews, and it's very clear through even many places in the Scriptures, if you don't pay attention to, as a believer, what the Word of God says, something seriously is going to happen to you. It's only a matter of time. You're going to start drifting away from the truths of God you'll grow cold. It's not like you're deliberately going to do this. You don't deliberately say, I'm going to start drifting away with, from my relationship with Jesus and the things of God and the truths of God and, and stop being obedient to, the, to God. You never make as a Christian, if you're truly born again, you don't make that decision to just drift away. It's like when you go into the ocean and you're out there playing and having a great time, and you see where you put your stuff on to the beach. And if you've ever been on the shore before on the beach, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You put your stuff out there, you're out there playing along, and all of a sudden, it's been an hour playing in the water, and you look up and you go, How did I get down? 100 200 feet down the down the shore from my stuff. If you're a fisherman you understand these things, don't you? If you want to sit there and you're fishing away and you put your anchor down, if the anchor is not deep within and holding you, what will happen when you look up from fishing all day? Hello? Are you with me? You have drifted down. As a matter of fact, you don't even realize you're about to hit the shore and crash because you were so focused and fixated on the fish that you've lost track of where you have been drifting down the river. Did you do it on purpose? No. Was it quick? No. It was nice and slow. It's almost You didn't even notice that you were actually drifting down the water. Could it lead you to some challenges? Yes. Hit the rock. Maybe there's some current down the road, that, down the river that you didn't want to get part of because you didn't have a way to get that boat back up from that current and that little drop off. Around here in the Black River, you drift too far. You've got a dam that you're going to be meeting up with. Oh, man, that's going to be Bad. There's drifting. It doesn't speak of just hearing carefully of what the Word of God says. But this this more earnest heed means doing what the Word of God says. We're not to be just hearers of the Word. We're to be doers of the Word we see in the Scripture. So what are those things that we heard that we're supposed to hold on to and to continue to hold on to these truths? Let me just give you a few of those if, if for some of you may not Know them. John 14.6 Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Why not John 3.16 For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Are you earnestly holding on to that truth of how you're saved? Well, let me give you another one if that doesn't ring your bell. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that, that, that verse is for those who sit there and say, oh I know, God gave me an opportunity away, yes I love it, mm, but I've been working really hard, much better and much more. I've been doing a lot of things for God and he, he's, oh, he's so more pleased with me than my, to the left and to the right of me because I know what they're not doing. That's legalism. The scripture's for you today. How about John 5? 1 John chapter nine, verse 9 through 13 if we receive the witness of men the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son he who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he is not believed the testimony that God has given of his son And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you remember these verses? Do you understand that these apply to you as a believer? Do you also understand if you're a non-believer today, if you're listening online or you're sitting here today, that also speaks to you because if you think you have a life, eternal life, then you've been deceived because apart from Jesus Christ or a personal relationship with Him, you do not have life. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. It's speaking of eternal life as, as a child of God. But I'll give you a somewhat of a warning here of a, a verse in Galatians... Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. My brothers and sisters, how are you saved? By placing your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you personally. And it's only by his shedding of his blood, the perfect lamb of God, that can forgive your sins, wipe away your sins, and give you eternal life. If you have heard of anything other than that, that you need Jesus Christ, yes, by faith, and, and fill in the blank, you need to follow these religious ways, or traditions, or whatever it may be, then that person who taught you that will be accursed. That's what the scripture said. I just read it. It's not my words. This is what the scripture says. You must back away from that additional teaching that you heard that says you need to add to faith to be saved. And you must come back to the gospel truth. Are you with me? That is what the, the, warning, the, the, the writer here is warning. Because if you're not careful, then you have what we call apostasy. You know what apostasy is? It's the sign of an apostate position you find where you eventually fall away and depart from the truth of God. From his righteousness. You're in apostate state if that speaks to your heart today. You must walk away from that and come back to the simplicity of Jesus dying for you. And it's only by faith in him that you're saved. Come back to his righteousness. Come back to the truths of God. Go back to reading the word of God as a believer. If not, you are drifting away and you don't even realize it. Maybe today is a wake-up call to look up. You've been down the river quite a distance. Some of you may be past drifting. And that is why you're here. And I thank God that God brought you back here to restore you and to bring you back To shore, back into anchoring, back into your first love for Jesus Christ. See, drifting naturally happens without an anchor to something solid. And if we are not securely set in the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and He's the only way to be saved, you will drift. You you once believed that. You really believe the only way you could be saved and be forgiven is by putting your trust and turning your life over to Jesus Christ. But you're out there in your safety of your little boat, you're saved, you're preserved, you're ready, waiting to go home, Jesus to come and rapture you out of here or take you home, and you're sitting so securely in your boat while the world around you, the sharks that are swimming around you, the alligators that are swimming around you and below you and trying to look for ways for you to just look and think about dipping your toe into the water to see how it feels. Oh, I remember the water wasn't as frigid and dangerous as it used to be when I was unsaved. But somehow something has got into your mind that You can be saved and be in the boat, but then also get in the water and play around and then get back out when you want to and get back in when you want to. Act like you're, don't big deal. But that's what drifting is. We will drift with the currents of this world. We will drift with the currents of our flesh we will drift with the currents of the demonic forces that are out there. If we're not careful, those three things will cause you to keep take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on the world or on your flesh or the demo, or to terrible things that are happening in your life. And you will forget that your savior is supreme. He's more powerful, more wiser, more everything you can think of. Every dimension and dimensions you don't even know is more and better than any talking head at some podium or on some internet that you've watched some guy out there or some gal out there giving you the, the, some false doctrine and you believe them. And so when you sit there, I can tell when you have been deceived and you're drifting because when we have fellowship, you're started, you used to talk about Jesus all the time and what he's doing in your life. And over a period of time, I notice you don't talk about Jesus. And then after a period of time, I see that you avoid conversations with who people were talking about Jesus. and then i see you drifting further away to a point where you you start talking about some pastor or some book writer who wrote the, fo- the following books oh oh she's incredible oh she's amazing and it just it's the subtleness that happens in your life and you think you don't even notice it but i assure you from those who were anchored and sitting there in their boat waiting and just enjoying With God, the security that we have in Christ. We're watching you float down the stream and drift away from us. And we see it. And you know something? Your brothers or sisters say, hey, what's going on? Something's happened. Something's not right. Hello, why are you, how did you get... Five feet, ten feet away from us now. Wait, hey, we were so close. Why, what, what happened here? Uh, wait a minute. You're, can you even hear me now? And here's the sad part. When you're drifting. And the ones who love you. That want you so close to them. To be in fellowship with them. To study the word together. To worship in song together in one voice. And your loved ones are, your brothers and sisters are cr- calling out to you, there's something not right. Something's not right. We don't know, but you just seem like, what, what's going on? You're rocking, what's, what's. And your response is, what do you, stop worrying about me. I'm good. I'm just fine. There's no issue here. You must be the problem. Loosen your anchor up a little. Loosen up the rope a little. Give it some slack. It's okay. You have freedom. You have freedom in in this world. You have liberty. it's, It's not compromise. We call it tolerance today. And so those who are calling out to you, Something, something's happening, you're drifting. Your spouses sh- can see it. Even your children can see it. Your parents can see it. Even your non-believing coworkers see it. But why is it that you don't see it? Because, as we see in the, as we continue in the book of uh, Hebrews, it's because we want what we want when we want it, and how we want it. We go back to the things of the world. We go back to the flesh that dominates us, and we'll go back and be swayed by the demonic forces that are always looking to try to take you out. So how does it happen? You know, it's interesting. The Apostle John. God used him in such an incredible way. He's the last Apostle, more than likely, put on the island of Patmos, if you remember. Used to, incredible... But if you study his life a little bit and you study where God took him, do you remember the the place that he ministered as a pastor for a long time, like 30 years? Do you know know where where that is? Ephesus. Ephesus. Do you know what happened to the church of Ephesus? Well, if you know Revelation chapter 2, I'll read it for you. Verses 1-5. through five. This is what happened. Here's a church that was solidly taught the word of God and who Jesus is. And just a flourishing, incredible church. The very first generation heard and saw and knew Jesus. And then we find the second generation heard of. experience some of the incredible power of God moving in the lives of the people they know. Then you get to the third generation. And those kids think the parents are just crazy. Grandma, grandpa, they're out of their mind. I think they're senile. They're getting dementia or something. They they're really focused on Jesus. I'm not sure what's going on there, but... But let me tell you what happened to a church called the Ephesian church that Jesus spoke to in the end times of one of the churches that he warns. Look at here in verse chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. To the angel. Keep in mind the word angel here, you think of, of, of spiritual beings that we talked about angels, but This word here in the Greek means not just angels that God created that were good angels and bad angels. No, angels can also refer to as pastors or ministers and prophets in the scripture. Here in Revelation, this angel he's referring to is the pastor of the Ephesian church. And he writes there to them and says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden land stamps, I know your works. Jesus says, I know your works. Those good works that you're doing in the church, they're great. Awesome. Your labor, all that sweat and tears you're doing to, to do what you're doing in the church, I noticed it. Your patience, And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Anyone who walks into that church, you can smell them that they're a a wolf. You can smell the fact that there's something not right. And you make sure they're not staying in the fellowship because they're teaching falsely. I, I recognize all that. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. Yes, even the false apostles coming in and saying, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, this and I'm a. You got rid of them because they're liars. I know you know the truth. But notice in verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary you still proclaim jesus is superior you keep worshiping jesus you're it's amazing that's an amazing church if we stop reading about the church of ephesus right there but notice what jesus says in verse four and five nevertheless i have this against you that you have left your first love Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, fallen, they have passed the drifting, they have gone fallen, right? Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place until you repent. Church, we will never want to be in a position that we're in a, in the Ephesian church. Laboring hard, doing great things for God, professing and proclaiming and going through the motions of coming on church every Sunday. Did you go to church? Yep. What have you done for, for the Lord lately? Oh, I served that coffee I usher All these good things serve the children. But here's the warning with drifting, if you're a drifter. Those are just become religious things that you do. Jesus wants intimacy with him. Not just someone who checks a box that says they're doing these religious things. He wants intimacy. He wants to hear your voice every day throughout the day, praying without ceasing and lifting everything up to Him about your entire life and everyone who's around you and that anyone who God puts on your heart and you would intercede for someone else. That you're not just singing to your Lord here on Sundays, you're singing in the car, you're singing in the shower, you're singing constantly. You have a song in your heart because you know that your Savior loves you and that your Savior is coming back for you in the twinkling of an eye and that you realize apart from Him you have nothing. He's given you everything. And he doesn't expect you to do anything because that's how you earn his love. He's already showed his love before you even loved him. He loved you first. You can't earn his love. He demonstrated his love how? By the cross. By the cross. And so when you look at this and you hear these things, imagine, think of the people who were here just a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago since the church has started. Started well but drifted. Are they here now? Is that family member here now? Is your friend here now? Is the neighbor that you invited, are they here now? And that's how it starts, because they're no longer here. It started with drifting. Even though the warnings were given They ignored the warnings because you're the problem, they say. We must take heed, earnest heed of what the Scripture says to us today, that we stay focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our life. The prophets, the pastors, people will come and go and be all kinds of things. And God can use them in a mighty way to speak God's truth to you. God may even use angels to minister to you and to help you as we study that. But none of them are superior to to Jesus Christ. None. That's why in verse 2. For if or since the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. We see here that the writer says to them again. Angels means messengers. It could be a pastor. It could be uh, an angel itself. But he uses the prophets and ministers and angels to minister to be messengers of his truth. And as we see clearly in the scripture, God has used them and it has been proved steadfast. It's proved very effective on how God used them. But every transgression, which means it refers to sins of commission, what does that mean? That means those sins that you or I, or sinful actions that you and I, are proactively done. Sins of commission, those are transgressions. We Think of sinful acts, we know we're going to lie about these things, we know we're going to commit adultery, we know we're going to be swearing, we know we're going to commit that murder. It just none of those things just happen. Those are sins of commission, transgressions. The word disobedience is the sins of omission a sin committed because of neglecting to do what is right. These are things that God says, "I need you to go do this," and you go I'm not going to do it. That's sin of omission. Those are disobedience. It could be something that God expects you and I to do something. There's an expectation. We know what the word of God says. There's expectations of how we are to live as children of God. And we choose not to do that. Those are sins of omission. That's a disobedience. Partial obedience is still what? Disobedience. I know I'm supposed to be praying. I know I'm supposed to be praying, but I, I don't, I'm not going to pray for that person. I know I'm supposed to be forgiving that person. I know. I know I'm supposed to be forgiving, but I'm not willing to forgive them. I'm supposed to be confessing what I just was thinking or just did. I know I'm supposed to be confessing this. God forgive me. And I'm not willing to do it. I know I'm supposed to be sharing. The word of God with that person. I know, Lord, you spoke to me to share the gospel, and I didn't. Oh, forgive me. That sense of omission. Psalm one nineteen ten says, "With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments." Oh, please, Lord, I don't want to wander. Oh, Lord, please don't don't let me be so hard when someone, even a complete stranger who could be an angel that God sends to remind me, oh, Corey, you're drifting. May I not be so stiff-necked and so stubborn in my ways that I don't hear how God is speaking to me through him directly, through his word, Or he uses someone like you to speak to me. Verse 3. We find here in verse 3 that some believers have this idea today that as believers we are under grace. And can escape any chastisement or any correction by the hand of God We'll see this in verse 3. It says right here, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. The Greek word here for neglect is the exact same word that we see in Matthew 22:5 and that word means to make light of salvation. Make light or neglect the things that are truth. The great salvation that God has given you and I, we can get to a point where we're drifting, we start neglecting, we make light of this Christian faith. Oh I hear you're saved. Well, eh, you know, that was years ago. Yeah, I guess I guess consider myself Christian. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the things of God. I don't have time for that. Let's talk about the game. Well, what's going? What's the Lord doing in your life? Oh no, you won't believe the my last vacation. What's the Lord having you do for Him today? Are you kidding me? I got plans. Have you seen my 10-year plan? 20-year plan? The subtleness of drifting. And losing by neglecting the great salvation of what God has given you. And the passion and the intimacy of your relationship with Christ. Because you've drifted, you're starting to neglect the things of God, and you're starting to pick things back up of the things of the world or the flesh, or you're being swayed by the demonic forces. That's what happens. That's what the, reader is, the writer is clearly communicating. And notice here, he doesn't say we escape if we rejecting. He didn't say rejecting. He says neglecting salvation. The danger is neglecting the salvation. Not re- being rejected from the salvation, but neglecting. Remember, the Hebrews were written not primarily as some evangelical tract that they were writing to give to these believers to give to non-believers. He's writing this letter to believers to encourage them to come back to Jesus and not lose focus of the supremacy of who Jesus is and not get distracted by prophets or by angels or anything else. But to encourage and warning to these discouraged Christians who are constantly being bombarded by religious leaders to say, you need to go back to the sacrificing, you need to go back to circumcision, you need to go back to a certain diet, you need to start wearing certain clothes, and you can only go here at certain times, and you can't do this and can't do that. And it will beat up a Christian because you sit there and you feel so strangled by these things of man-made religious things. You don't have the freedom to breathe and live for Christ. This letter to the Hebrews was written to those who neglected to continue abiding in the walk with Jesus. We must continue to abide in him and walk. When we consider something great, we will always naturally pay attention to something that we say, wow, that's great. And you get fixated and you will not let go. You are like a, you're just like a beacon and you're just going to hone in on that and grab a hold of it because it's so great in your mind. But if it's not great, you'll neglect it. Psst. Remember the time? Honey, I have to have it. I need it. I want it. Oh, it's, I, oh it's, it's the greatest thing. Where is it now? You probably don't even know. That little thing is probably in the basement or in the attic. Or you gave it away at the last rummage sale. Because it was so great at one point. And then you started neglecting it. It just, it just disappeared. You don't even think about it. It's just stuff. We leave it because it's not convenient anymore. We leave it because there's no commitment to it anymore. We'll neglect it because it's no longer great In your mind. But salvation is great, my brothers and sisters. We are saved by a great Savior. We are saved at a great cost. And we are saved from a great penalty. How can you not stay laser-focused On the supremacy of Jesus Christ in your life every day. We must. The reason many neglect their salvation is because they never see it as salvation. They see, when you say salvation, they just see it as something merely they received. Oh yeah, I received a free gift from Jesus Christ. It was great. I loved it. I cherished it. I played with it every single day. I wanted everything to know about that gift. But after a period of time like a child, what happens? That gift gets put away in the closet. The basket puts back over the light. The salt loses its flavor. But notice at the end of verse three, spoken by the Lord was confirmed. He confirmed many things to make sure people knew the supremacy of Jesus Christ and he not only he did this but he did it through his prophets his apostles as well if you notice that he gave them gifts of the Holy Spirit he gave them signs and wonders and miracles and gifts here in verse 4 God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will It was his will. God's will was to work through the lives of the apostles. It was God's will to work through the prophets that he needed to use as messengers. It was God's will to use the angels in the capacity to serve and to do the the things that he needed to do. And he will, by his will, use you as a child of God to share the gospel and encourage those in the faith. Are you in the will of God? Are you in the will of God? Jesus said, Miraculous signs will, would follow those who believe, Mark sixteen seventeen. And there is no element of the miraculous. One may question whether the true belief in Jesus Christ or not. Or if the word of God is truly preached. This is how God works. He says, as He takes believers and He works through their lives, empowering them of the Holy Spirit, lives are changed in a miraculous way. Many times people say, Pastor, I don't see the miracles. I don't see the healings. Well, then open your eyes. You need to get out more. You need to get outside the building we call the church and go out into the darkness and share the gospel and watch Jesus do miracles and signs and all kinds of things as he moves through an obedient vessel that he's prepared. That would be you. But you'll never see God move in the lives of people and around this world if you're drifting down the water. If you're not anchored in the things of God and watching and seeing what God's doing in and through your life, you won't see it. And so many times people, when they don't see it, then they think, oh, Jesus is, you know, these things must, they sound good. But are they real? Well, Scripture tells us He's very real. And if He saved you and has transformed your life, What a great miracle that is. What a great miracle. And if you're out there sharing the gospel and watch someone get saved, you will see a wonderful miracle take place. You're missing out because you're distracted, doing your own thing, looking up and around just want to be by myself. I want to get on the boat and just everyone else can just disappear because I want to do my thing. That's not where you want to be, my brother. It's not where you want to be. You need to get anchored. In verse 4, God also bearing witness both with the signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to To his own will. I read that one more time. Because. Many churches will tell you. When you come into church. If you're not. Focused on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And the studying of the word of God. And allowing the Holy Spirit. To speak to you and work in. And through your life. You will have a tendency. Or the church body will have a tendency. To kind of. To work up. The Spirit to, to create miracles and to create signs and create all kinds of things because they're looking for something because they don't see it happening. If they don't see things happening and people falling down and healing and all these they, they create these experiences to try to help them feel more spiritual. But I assure you, my brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit doesn't need us. Doesn't need our help. He's fully capable of doing what he wants to do according to his will. He doesn't need your human effort or your inc- explosive emotion to prime the pump of enthusiasm to get the church enthusiastic for Jesus. I don't need to be up here huffing and puffing and sweating and showing that I'm sweating, even though I'm sweating, and and sweating to try to say the Spirit of God is moving. I know the Spirit of God is moving because I know that the Spirit of God has touched your heart in some way by His Word this day. And I know some of you heard Him so clearly like you're asking, how does the pastor know that about me? I don't need to know that about you. God knows that about you. And that's all that matters. The question now, my brothers and sisters, is what do you do with his voice who just spoke to you? And that you found yourself drifting and you need to come back and get anchored. You do that by how? By repenting. Come back to your first love and your passion and your intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen.